Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider Indianapolis. Start is Monday, February 20th, 2023. Uh, and we have brought back in a, an old friend who was just recently on the podcast, but we're doing it again. We're running it back. Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. Galen, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can't quit me during basketball season. I love it. Uh, well, to be, be fair, I, I I think we we need to learn how to not quit, period, when it's not basketball season. So we do about one of these a month. We are going to, just as a programming note, remain more committed to mind your banners through the offseason this year. But um, we're talking again. This is Monday, um, February 20th. Indiana beat Illinois 71-68 over the weekend. Um, the Hoosiers are 19-8. and They're 10-6 and in Big Ten play, I think if there was any doubt that like they were just in the field could absolutely bomb from here and they'd still be in the field of 68, it was probably removed on Saturday. Um, But it was also interesting, perhaps even more interesting than the game itself to see Indiana debut as effectively the top four seed in the selection committee's um, early bracket reveal. They, they reveal their first 16 seeds in order. Um, Indiana was the number 13 seed, which again, in, in terms of an S curve would make them the, the top four seed in the field. I think that surprised a lot of people, Galen. I think a lot of people saw Indiana as a five, maybe even, a you know, shading more toward a six than a four. We, you can debate that, but either way, it felt like it was kind of splitting hairs. Now it feels like Indiana's knocking on the door of being a three, depending on how they finish this season. Um, I know, you know, the bracket stuff better than I do. I listened to your, your bracket podcast this morning. I guess first, just your reaction to how you think the committee sort of got to that place with Indiana, especially considering it's not like the Big Ten is necessarily bad this year, but there are only two Big Ten teams in that top 16. You know, this, this isn't a situation where the conference is pulling everybody up. Yeah, it's a it was an interesting thing for me. I mean, I had Indiana up around that level. I had them actually just a spot below where the committee placed them. And I thought I was overrating Indiana. And in reality, I guess I wasn't. I think the big thing that lifts Indiana against the other teams in that general vicinity is the number of wins they have against teams that are likely to be in the NCAA tournament. And you think about the full breadth of what Indiana has done so far this season. And, you know, they we know they've got the win at Xavier. They've got the win, uh, two wins now against Illinois. They've beaten Purdue. They've beaten Rutgers. I mean, those things matter because when you start looking around at the other teams that are competing for protected spots in the tournament, those top four seeds, uh, a lot of the teams just don't have that many victories against teams that are going to be in the field. So I, I think that's a big one. And honestly, Indiana has the right mix of what they've done so far, how their resume look compared to everybody else and what the predictive statistics like BPI or Ken Palm say about this team. It's about 15th in the country in both of those rankings, and ultimately that ends up carrying over to how they got placed uh, in that initial seeding selection. 
Um, my son might be about to burst in here. We're celebrating all the presidents today. Um, so there's a there's a decent chance he's about to bust into my office. I can hear him um, running down the hall. Does he like uh, bust in as William McKinley? Like what he's, happened? He's going to bust in like the Kool-Aid man. James the Kool-Aid man. Um, I, I think, I, I guess the, 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 the other question that I had coming out of Saturday, in part because Saturday may wind up being Indiana's last quad one win of the year, certainly the regular season. If they don't win either of these next two road games, it probably will be their last quad one of the year of the regular season is kind of where the floor is for Indiana. And I think like if we, you know, I, 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 I toggle with uh, Bart Torvik's team cast a lot. I think Bart's numbers are about as, as sort of thorough as can be. And, and he, I think he, he seems to get the weight of things right. And actually if anything, you know, if you look at where Indiana is on Kim Palm on Sager and Bart tends to rate Indiana a little bit lower this season. Um, and, and yet, if you look at, again, the, the team cast tool, uh, which is basically just you can predict the rest of a team's record and then they'll kind of run that. They'll, they'll run a simulation of that through sort of a projection of everybody else and where do they fit? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm doing this as we speak. This is great live audio. If you just kind of throw in like a conference tournament simulation, let's say Indiana you know, wins one, loses one in Chicago. Let's say they lose the next two, Michigan State and Purdue on the road. They beat Iowa, they beat Michigan, and then this has them beating Iowa and losing to Michigan in Chicago. So basically they just split the season or split the rest of their 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 guaranteed games, if you want to say three and three, with a one and one stop in Chicago included. If you throw that into Bart's simulation here, that in that leaves Indiana 22 and 11, 12 and 8 in conference and final. He's got them as the last three seed in his in his sort of simulated projection there. Now, again, this is imperfect for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think we had all wondered if Indiana was more in kind of the lower four to five range, you know, was a six a possibility. It, it sort of feels like, and and again, you have looked at the the whole picture more in depth than I have um this year. I've been obviously pretty focused on Indiana's situation the last few weeks it feels like that there may be a harder floor under this team seating wise than than what we thought providing for indiana doesn't go zero and four in its last four games of bomb out of the the big 10 tournament at yeah. the first time of asking i think if they if they tread water like you just described if they lose the two road games win the two home games go one and one the big 10 tournament i would be really surprised if they dropped below a five and I think they'd almost certainly be a four given, and this is the thing that people struggle with. You think about it, St. Mary's and Gonzaga are going to play each other probably twice. And somebody's going to have to lose each of those games. If St. Mary's lose bo loses both of them, I don't see how they finish ahead of Indiana. You can go through those big 12 teams that are all clustered up. Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU. These teams are not going to win all the rest of their games and win the big 12 tournament. Uh, so there's going to be some leakage there. Same thing in the Big East. You're competing, if you're Indiana, against Xavier, Marquette, Creighton, UConn. These are teams that are already ranked below Indiana in a couple of cases. And, you know, so I think, you know, the, if Indiana lose all of their remaining games, they lose the next five, the, the four in the regular season and the one Big Ten tournament game, they could probably drop to a six, maybe even a seven. But I really don't think that's a likely scenario that they would lose that many. So if you go with more of the... They win two, lose two, and then win one and lose one in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, you know, a four or a five seems like where they're going to land because of what they've done up to this point. And honestly, if they if they win three out of the last four in the regular season, I think that the ceiling could be a little bit higher. I don't think that three seed 
that Bart has as a projection on his website is out of the realm of possibility. I actually had Indiana as my last three in my last in my most recent brackets, and I tried really hard to not give them a three. I tried to move several teams above them, and every time when I looked at the numbers, Indiana's just done enough. And I know this is hard for IU fans to get their head wrapped around because they're so used to watching IU basketball not do enough at this time of year, the last several seasons. But IU's had a really good year so far compared to the rest of the country. It also feels a little bit like, and, and I don't want to dive too deep into this, and for what it's worth, Bart's also got the, uh, he's just got an updated sort of uh, bracket projection that I think he pulls from a variety of sources. He just calls it his team racketology. That's got Indiana as the top four seed right now. So that's that's as things stand right now, not simulating the rest of the season. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with this, but I, I also think there's an extent to which, like, I think maybe Indiana fans can't let go of the Arizona and Kansas games, both because, you know, they, they, they weren't great losses, especially Kansas. Um, obviously those are two of the few teams that Indiana, I mean, the only team that in, that is clearly ahead of Indiana in the NCAA tournament field right now, other than those two that they've played, they beat, which is Purdue. Now they'll, you know, they've got to go to Purdue next Saturday. And, and we all know kind of what, you know, what tends to happen when Indiana plays at Purdue, but still, um, those are the only two teams clearly ahead of Indiana that they've already played on their schedule that have beaten them. And those are the two games that Indiana put on its schedule. You know, North Carolina was a game Indiana was handed. Xavier was a game Indiana was handed. Indiana put those games on its schedule in part to put itself in a better position, you know, in these kinds of conversations around seeding and and, and NCAA tournament projection. And listen, you, you don't get a ton of credit um, from – the committee for um, losing good games, essentially. But it is worth saying that the committee certainly doesn't dock you points for challenging yourself. And, you know, we can go on and on about, well, Indiana's a different team than what they were when they played Arizona and Kansas. And if they get Xavier Johnson back, they'll evolve again and whatever else. But it, I, I think there's an extent to which, like, Indiana fans have just sort of struggled to to let go of of – you know, what they saw in that stretch between December 3rd and January 11th that leaves them thinking that there's still another worm to turn with this team. Yeah, I, I've been trying to talk about this on Crimson Cast a bit. I think people need to just chill out a little bit with this team. And that goes with how they played in December when Jalen Huchifino was dealing with a really painful back injury that kept him out of several games. And in the middle of that Kansas game, they lose Xavier Johnson for what has been now over two months. I, I mean, let's let's give some grace here. You also had Trace Jackson Davis, who wasn't able to play and practice for large stretches of that period in December. You're not getting docked for those losses. And to some degree, fortunately, you're not going head-to-head -head against Kansas or Arizona in terms of seeding. Kansas is a, a one seed right now, and Arizona is a borderline two, maybe the highest three. Um, you know, Indiana's played really well over the course of the last month, month and a half. And... I think that ultimately a lot of IU fans tend to fall back, understandably so, into this kind of post-traumatic stress situation where they're so used to watching Indiana give away games, lose games in, in January and February, stumble to the finish line, not make the NCAA tournament. Even last year when they did make the tournament, it literally took two wins on a neutral court in the Big Ten tournament to get them into the field. So, you know, I think if Indiana fans can just, you know, take a step back and say this team is different from that team that played in early to mid-December, even early January, and they're stronger, 
They figured out a lot of ways to win. They've stuck in games. They've come back now several times and either won like they did against Illinois this last week or almost won like they did in that game at Northwestern uh, and that they did do uh, when winning the game up at Ann Arbor earlier that week. I, I think this team deserves a little more patience and a little more credit than what a lot of IU fans have been willing to give them up to this point. Which brings us to, I suppose, the 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 burning question I wanted to ask in this podcast. Talk a little bit less about the games that were, and a little bit more about the bigger picture. Um, and, and I don't want to be this isn't being negative for negative sake, but I I think if we are talking about Indiana as a four seed or better, if we are talking about Indiana as one of the top 15, 16 teams in the NCAA tournament, possibly even raising their ceiling above that, then we're ultimately talking about a team that should have legitimate designs on a Final Four run. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, you can see this team's weaknesses. I still don't think it's unreasonable when you've got a National Player of the Year candidate, you've got a borderline lottery pick point guard, you've really improved a lot of your deficiencies from a year ago. You may still have this wild card to play in terms of Xavier Johnson coming back from the broken foot. To see this as the sort of team that with a fair wind and and some, some you know, some fortunate matchups could at least play deep into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And the question basically I want to ask is if they don't, why not? And um, I got into a couple of these things in my talking points newsletter. That's something new. I should, I guess I should probably pitch it on here. Um, It drops Monday mornings. It's just meant to kind of set the stage for every week. Uh, It's called, again, it's called talking points, indystar.com slash sports every Monday morning uh, through the end of the regular season. And then probably on for a little while beyond that. But I just kind of want to get your thoughts. We've talked a lot about what made, what's made Indiana better this season. They're shooting threes better. They're very efficient on twos because of their bigs. Um, they are outstanding defending the rim, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, where do you start if somebody says, you know, what's going to prevent Indiana from making a genuine run at the, let's say the, let's say the elite eight at minimum, um, what is the sort of thing that like, where would you start in terms of saying, this is why I would doubt this team could get out of the first weekend or things that might prevent this team from getting past maybe a sweet 16. I think the biggest thing right now is they are not scoring the ball very well. Uh, They're over the last month, they're 47th in the country in offensive efficiency. And they are only 232nd in the country in effective field goal percentage. They have won seven out of the last nine games, which is the stretch of time we're talking about in that span, largely due to their defense, which has been among the best in the country in terms of keeping opposing teams from shooting the ball well. They haven't turned opposing opposing teams over. They've really survived off of just forcing bad shots. They've shown a lot of moxie in winning a lot of close games, but the reason those games have been close is because their offense goes stagnant for large stretches of games, even in the victories. And it is becoming... Easier, I think, incrementally so, to just throw the kitchen sink at Trace Jackson Davis and force everybody else on the floor to try to beat you. What's kept Indiana afloat has been Jalen Hood-Shafino's ability to hit shots uh, you know, under contested situations. A lot of shots you wouldn't want anybody on the floor, including Trace Jackson Davis putting up, but Hood-Shafino's put them up and hit them. And that's one, it won the game at Illinois. It almost won the game versus Northwestern, but that's not really a sustainable model from my perspective. IU has to get back to what they were doing earlier in the year in terms of being more efficient, scoring the basketball, using more possessions uh, or more using more possessions efficiently, at least, and getting more people involved. They've had a real issue, especially on the road or away from Assembly Hall with 
players outside of Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Huchifino just not showing up and and doing much from a statistical perspective in games, at least on offense. Defensively, a little bit different story, but they can't afford to have games where they only get scoring out of the big two. And to me, that's that's by far the biggest threat that this team faces, not just in the last part of the regular season, but for their tournament aspirations. This team is a Final Four caliber team. If Trace Jackson Davis is scoring consistently, Jalen Huchifino scoring and dishing assists, and you've got two other players doing something on the floor, whether that's Cop hitting threes, Galloway hitting threes and runners, Tamar Bates coming in and scoring, Race Thompson scoring in double figures, like two of those players have to show up. And what worries me about IU right now is did they burn too much energy and emotion in getting themselves to the point where they are in consideration for a protected seed? How much is left in the tank with these players and this team overall over the course of this next six or seven or eight games? Yeah, I think, I mean, the offensive regression has manifested. I, I think that's fair. And I think it's manifested itself in a lot of different ways. I mean, if you look at it, Tamar Bates has only scored in double figures once since January 14th. Um, Trey Galloway only has one double figure scoring game in his last eight. You bring up Jalen Huchifino. He's, he's scoring the ball, but he's also turning it over more often than he was earlier in the season. He's had some pretty inefficient shooting performances. Um, you know, if, if you look at Indiana's overall turnover numbers, they, and I'm just counting this as we speak here since the Maryland game, including the Maryland game on January 31st and its last six games, Indiana's turned the ball over on 19, 19.4% of possessions or more five times in six games. They only broke 19.4% on turnover rate one, two times in the previous eight games. If I'm doing that math, right. So they're, they're turning the ball over a lot more. Um, I think that is, reflective of, of something else that is, has become glaring. And this is what I actually led talking points with today. Indiana has stopped shooting threes. They have just, they have stopped shooting them. Now that doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's important to sort of, it's important to say this. They have not stopped making them, but they have stopped shooting them. They have shot 40% or better on threes. One, two, three, four, five times. And I think their last eight or nine games but they have shot more than 15 threes in a game once in that stretch. In the 13 games they played before Christmas, the Hoosiers at the, the Hoosiers attempted more than 15 threes 10 times. Since the turn of the year, which is basically how many games is that? That's that's every Big Ten game bar two, so that's 14 games since the turn of the year. Since the turn of the year, Indiana has attempted more than 15 threes in a game twice. That was the Northwestern loss at home and they were, went nine for 18 and the Ohio State win at home when they went 10 for 20. Um, in their last five games, they have attempted a grand total of 53 pointers. They are averaging 10 threes per game in their last five games. Um, if I'm doing that math right, I am. Again, the, they're making them when they shoot them. You know, they were 5 of 11 against Illinois. They were 5 of 12 against Rutgers. They were 4 of 10 against Purdue. These are The averages aren't bad. The percentages aren't bad. The, the, the quantity is. They're only shooting. They're shooting fewer than 16 threes per game on the season. They're shooting somehow fewer threes per game than they shot last year, which I did not think was possible. And I think that all this is kind of reflective of, of a couple things. First of all, Jalen Huchifino, I think, is starting to – uh, you know, you can see it as get exposed, leagues learning more about him. He's wearing down, you know, see that however you want. Number two, I think that, that you know, there's some combination of teams are getting – Indiana is becoming more reliant upon Trace Jackson Davis, and teams are getting better at pigeonholing Indiana into certain things 
that basically they need Trace Jackson Davis to do. Um, and if you look at his turnover numbers um, on the season, they're not terrible, but he's got, what is this, 19 in his last five games. And in the five games before that, he only turned it over 15 times. In the four games before that, he only turned it over 12 times. It's it, it Teams are just making Indiana less efficient, and I think some of it is the way that they're being defended. I think some of it is possibly Indiana getting a little too reliant on the – the Jackson Davis hood Shafino sort of high low axis. And some of it is just that it, it feels like Indiana's just kind of lost some of the offensive habits it had, a, you know, earlier in the season in terms of the guys that seemed a little bit, you know, more fearless about how they were going to, you know, how often they were going to attack, how often they were going to shoot and how often they were going to score the ball. Yeah, no, I think all of that is valid. Um, you know, another issue I think for Indiana is that, they're just not being sent to the free throw line, which I still find baffling as much as Indiana plays in the post. They have among the lowest free throw rates on offense in the entire league and every game, especially these last few games, they just haven't been uh, given the opportunity to go to the free throw line. And of course, in the Illinois game, they missed a bunch of the opportunities they did get. And when you don't go to the free throw line, that has a negative impact on your offensive efficiency as well. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head in the piece this morning and with what you just said, they're shooting threes at a good enough rate that they need to be shooting more of them. It it really would help open up everything. I have a theory that, you know, perhaps the, the message has been, I don't want you taking the shot unless you're 100% certain that you're going to hit it. That's going to have a positive impact on the percentages that you're shooting. And, and clearly this team needed some help in terms of its percentages based upon what they've done the last five seasons. But the flip side of that is that more so than earlier on in the year, Indiana's just turning down those looks, and they're turning them down for looks that are worse. Uh, you know, we, we saw this a couple of times in the game against Illinois. Jalen Huchifino did it, Tamar Bates did it, where they turned down an open three, shot faked, dribbled in, and took a contested two that they missed. And that's just not smart. That's not good strategy. I don't care where you're playing basketball at this point, especially for two guys like that who shoot the ball at a good enough rate from outside that you'd rather just see them catch it and shoot it. And I think that complaint has been the case with several players on IU's roster over the course of the season. Uh, you know, look, it's going to be, I think, hard for Indiana, and it's hard for everybody. It's also being, it's starting to get harder for Purdue with Zach Eady because teams are just throwing everything at Eady, and we've seen Northwestern have success with that. We've seen Maryland have success with it. And if you aren't getting the shooting outside to try to free that up, you're going to struggle. I do. I will say this. I, I don't know if IU's offensive struggles are really an artifact of them getting worse on offense or just being better scouted and teams knowing specifically in the conference yeah, how to I, what Indiana's doing. I was going to say, I brought this up in a radio interview I did earlier today where I said that it's it's hard sometimes at this time of year specifically to know, you know, sort of which is, which is, is more – you know, the root of the cause, is it the fact that Trace Jackson Davis is getting tired or teams have figured out how to take away certain things that, that Indiana was doing to, you know, for example, I mean, I, I think a lot about that first game at, against Michigan State at home. Indiana scored 82 points. Um, Indiana was 9 of 15 on threes. Three different players hit a three. Trey Galloway hit three of them. Tamar Bates hit five. Miller Cop only took one and he missed it. So you're only basically the guy is your only volume shooter right now. 
um, was not even, not even like part of the way you won that game and your offense still just operated so coolly and so smoothly. Um, and Indiana also shot 21 of 24 on free throws in that game that they got to the free throw line a lot. You're, you're not, it, it feels like teams are stifling that now. And the question is basically just have teams figured out something about Indiana have they worn Indiana down? Have they figured out certain, you know, tendencies and weaknesses like Northwestern did with the way that it defended Trace Jackson Davis with the double? Or is it an issue of, you know, you're playing, you've played Rutgers twice now. You've played Northwestern twice now. You've played Illinois twice now. Um, this is going to be your second game this week against Michigan, against Purdue. In fact, everybody in Indiana plays from here on. It will be the second time they've played them this season. And so not only do they have the learned experience of playing against you this year and maybe last year as well, they also have tape, substantial tape, of you playing against opponents that they have the learned experience of as well. So they have they have not only the frame of reference of playing you, but also all of your opponents. So when they watch you play their, your opponents, they think, well, I already know that about them, which teaches me something about them, that ultimately an NCAA tournament opponent, especially on a short turnaround, probably would not be able to prepare for in the same way. I'll also note that until they play Iowa next week, Indiana will have only played the bottom four teams in defensive efficiency in the conference once each. Uh, they'll only play Minnesota once, Penn State once, Ohio State once, uh, Nebraska once. So it's actually the bottom five they'll only have played once. And then Iowa is the other one. So they've had to play the toughest defensive teams in the conference all twice over the course of January and February. And, and that's going to have an, a negative impact on what you're able to do uh, look, ultimately, I think Indiana's got the talent and the fact that they haven't capsized at all, you know, even the loss that they've had in this stretch to to Northwestern was a game that they could have won if there's either an offensive foul called or if Jalen Hudrafino's shot goes like two inches further in the air, uh, you know, as the buzzer is sounding, maybe if the smoke hadn't been fired off behind the backboard. Um, but look, I think overall there are things to be concerned about with Indiana. And, you know, we've seen this for the last couple of seasons. Their offense does go into lulls and they don't always have a good way of getting out of it. I do believe now that at least you've got Jalen Huchifino confident enough in his own game that he will try to start things, but his teammates have to help him and trace Jackson Davis out by hitting some shots, by at least taking some shots early and trying to get into some kind of flow. Cause you can kind of, I think Indiana's survived first half droughts a lot better because they still have time to adjust and get themselves back into it. The second half droughts have kind of been a thing of the past, but that's the thing that worries me the most about this team in March is if they catch a team that defends them just right and they can't get shots up uh, that are going in, I do worry about their ability to pull themselves out of it in that kind of a situation. This may also be one of those correlation versus causation things. Um, Race Thompson's been playing a lot better lately. And, and some of this is almost certainly just his health, but he scored in double figures three times in the last five games. He had 11 points and four rebounds at Maryland. He had 13 points and three rebounds was a big part of the comeback at Northwestern. Um, he had 10 and six, like quietly had a very good game against Illinois. Um, you know, I, it felt for a little while, even pre-injury, you know, I mean, he only had he did not score at Rutgers. He only had two against North Carolina. He only had five against Xavier. Even pre-injury, it, it felt sometimes like Grace Thompson almost had seen his production fall because the offense had had blossomed a little bit more around him. Number one, Trace Jackson Davis was just 
eating up more possessions because he was he was just showing such a dominant streak that you kind of didn't need this buddy ball dynamic that the two of them developed last year. And number two, when you could make more threes, when you could spread the floor, when ball movement and skip passing and all those sorts of things were going to be more effective than they were a season ago. And when you had guys that could score at multiple levels, that was something else that I think we talked a lot about with Indiana when the offense was really kind of humming was you had Trey Galloway who could, who could finish well around the rim, had the floater and the three pointer. You had Jalen Hutchfina who had the mid range and the three you know, you, you had Xavier Johnson before he was hurt, who could obviously finish around the rim and had made himself into a, a serviceable volume three-point shooter. Um, it just sort of felt like suddenly Indiana could score from a lot more angles and it didn't quite need Race Thompson offensively the way that it did a year ago when it felt like it was very much sort of this, 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 this strict hierarchy of Trace Jackson Davis, Xavier Johnson, and then Race Thompson, and then sort of everyone else. Um Again, this may be correlation, not causation. And this is not a criticism of Race Thompson at all. I think, again, I think he's been playing a lot better. Like, low-key, I think if you ask somebody, um, what is Race Thompson's free-throw shooting percentage in Big Ten play, I think they would have no idea what it is. It's almost 83%. He's 24 of 29 at the line, and he's shooting 74% on the season, which is, like, by orders of magnitude better than anything he's ever done in his career. Um but I do wonder if we are seeing Race Thompson like sort of grow back into this offense. If that is a reflection of the idea that Indiana is having to pivot back to a little bit more of the bully ball that they were playing last year, because they just whether it's guys not confident shooting, whether it's the way teams are defending, whatever it is, Indiana's got to use the battering ram a little bit more offensively than it had to maybe a month, two months, three months ago. There was a really interesting wrinkle in that Illinois game that I thought was fascinating where they were pulling Trace Jackson Davis up to the high post or even beyond that. And they were dropping race Thompson down on the block in a mismatch and trusting him to go to work in the last, what, six, seven minutes of the game. And he made them pay. Um, you know, that's really, I think why Indy won, Indiana won the game was that race Thompson was able to score what three baskets there down the stretch that ended up giving Indiana the margin of victory. If you look at, races stats pre-injury versus post-injury offensively they're not too different from each other he was a bit more efficient before the injury but he's had three out of the last four games he's been really good he's just not getting rebounds like he was before and I think that's probably the thing that's hurt the most and honestly that kind of hurts IU's offense because a lot of those rebounds race was pulling down were offensive which helped to extend possessions and them not getting that ends up having a negative impact on their overall offensive efficiency but I do think I mean that they clearly need race Thompson to do what he does, even if he is not quite as effective due to injury, because Malik renew keeps having these ebbs and flows. He had a really good stretch there in late January, early February, and now he's kind of waned again, which is similar to what he did in December and early January. And so I, I think if you could get both of those guys on the same page where you don't lose a whole lot, pulling race Thompson off the floor and putting renew in that's Indiana in their most ideal setting down low. And they're going to need that. Because Trace Jackson Davis has become a good enough passer that whoever is in the post with him, if they can score against a mismatch or against nobody because Trace Jackson Davis is being double teamed, that is the key to getting more efficient on offense and maybe getting Indiana back to where they were a month ago on that front. The last thing I want to bring up, we have about five minutes left, is um, Xavier Johnson. And I think that the other thing, I mean, I wrote this, I wrote after the Northwestern game that I thought one of the things Indiana needed was to find like one more entry point into its offense that did not require Trace Jackson Davis or Jalen Hutchifino. And not necessarily a high usage entry point, but just a, another point of attack, essentially, beyond the ones that we've that have kind of become well-worn. 
Um, there are a number of ways in which Xavier Johnson can, I think, improve Indiana if they can get him back in the rotation and get him, let's say, by the end of their however long their stay, by the end of the Big Ten tournament, playing at least like 20 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game. One of those is Xavier Johnson adds a wrinkle no one else on this team does. Um, he is far and away, even with respect to Jalen Hood-Shafino, this team's best ball handler, its best passer. Um, it is he is the best player Indiana has had off the dribble since Yogi Ferrell. Um, it's I don't think that's arguable at this point. Um, obviously, there are ways in which Xavier Johnson can stress people out. I totally get that. Um, you know, I mean, he he had his turnover rate was twenty five point one percent in eleven games before he went out. Of course, his assist rate was almost thirty three percent. So again, swings and roundabouts. But uh, I think that the you know, if, if I'm looking at ways, you know, if I'm Mike Woodson and I'm and, and I let's 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 imagine this hypothetical Indiana is knows it's going to get Xavier Johnson back sometime between now and the end of the regular season that it should be generally full strength from a, you know, the perspective of how many minutes he can play and how much workload he can handle before uh, by the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, if I'm Mike Woodson, I'm saying, hey, you know, don't try to do too much. Grow into this team that's kind of grown up without you. But if there's two things I'm really charging him with defensively it's i need you to be that 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 you know that sort of on ball defender that solves some of our issues with straight line drives because that doesn't come up as often as it did a year ago but it is still an issue and offensively i'm telling him you are the best player we have at breaking down a, a defense off the dribble whether you get a ball screen or not just simply like your your quickness your creativity your agility beating players off the dribble and getting into the lane um, I think that is something that would do Indiana a heck of a lot of good to be able to add back to the mix. Because even Jalen hood Shafino, as, as good as he's been in the mid-range, really has not shown that explosive first step that beats people the way that Xavier Johnson can bring it. Yeah, I mean, I just worry that he's not going to be ready physically to contribute even at that level. Like, if he can get 15 minutes a game, I'll consider it a minor miracle. It's just hard to come back from a broken foot and having been out for over two months to come back and be able to play competitive basketball at the level that Indiana is going to need to compete in these games. Everything you said is hundred percent correct. Like he provides such a different facet offensively that nobody else on the team can provide that if he's able to get back, if he, maybe he's further along than I think, I just worry that the fact that he didn't play against Illinois means he's almost certainly not going to play against Michigan state and Purdue, which means you're going to have two games, at the end of the regular season, whatever you get in the Big Ten tournament, and that's it until you get to the NCAA tournament, it's hard to not just integrate with the team that, as you said, has learned and grown up without him, but it's also hard just yourself to get back into a rhythm and flow. A lot of what made Xavier Johnson so effective for this IU team was his ability to score pretty efficiently. You know, He's always been, uh, at least at IU, a guy that scored over a point per possession you know, his assist rate's always been really high. Those things both require a certain degree of timing and feel. I just don't know how easy it's going to be for him to get that back. If he can give 15 minutes a game, if he can spell Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway so that they're not having to come in and just be the only backcourt rotation, that's probably where the biggest help comes in. I just, If I'm an IU fan, I'm not getting too wrapped up in the idea that he's going to come back and play 30 minutes a game because that just seems incredibly unlikely. We'll leave it there for this week. Um, again, uh, you know, to be 
to be very clear, uh, this is not us saying Indiana cannot make a deep run in the tournament. Indiana is fraudulent in any way. I just thought it would be interesting to explore basically a team that is nine and two in its last 11 games where the holes are because there are still holes. And because, as we've talked about before, the, the more you win, the more expectation elevates. And now suddenly if Indiana's pushing – you know, the maybe a, a ceiling as a three seed, then we're talking about Indiana as one of the 10 to 12 best teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, it's been a long time since Indiana was at that level. You know, I mean, really, it's it's happened once in the last 10 years. So what could hold this team back from realizing that potential, I think, is an interesting and relevant conversation. Thank you for uh, joining us, Galen, as always. Thank you all for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners for February 20th, 2023. Um, for the Indianapolis Star, for the Bloomington Herald Times, I'm Zach Osterman. We will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.